you could just get in a line kind of one at a time. That would help us to save kind of time there. But I'll let you know that I ran the, uh, I ran the board and the elders um, through this quiz this last week. They didn't get six questions. They had like 14. Uh, and don't be afraid, but there may or may not be a lot of heretics on the board. Um, but what you're going to see is that this isn't necessarily stuff that, okay, we're denying Jesus' divinity if we get these things wrong, but we have to recognize that this, this is complicated. This is important to understand rightly, that the, we believe Jesus is God and we have faith in him, and if you get like a low score on this, I'm not saying you're not saved. You definitely probably are, but we have to understand just how complicated it is. And some of us might be thinking like, ah, Jesus is God, that's simple, that's easy, this is boring old stuff. But as we get into it, you might recognize that it's pretty complicated, it's pretty complex, and hopefully these questions will show you just how complicated, how complex it is. Hopefully it, it spurs a desire in you to know God better. So I'll let you, I'll give you a minute to take that. It's going to give you your results right away. Uh, I'm not going to give you every answer of why you got it right just yet. You'll have to kind of be paying attention. You'll kind of have to be listening there. But do you guys want to know the answer to basically every single question here? Just, oh, man. Teacher's pets over here. If you answer from the perspective, Jesus is fully God, fully man. Just think about that. Fully God, fully man. On every single question, you will get them all right. You don't have to be as brilliant as Audrey and Emily. I promise you. (laughs) Wait, what did you say? (laughs) <laughs> that's why we throw that seven in there yeah just to make sure oh man and then don't 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 stress over this too bad if you got it because we're going to talk about it as we go but every question here is designed to kind of prod you and to see if you are answering from the perspective that jesus fully god he's god and he's fully man fully human and i promise if you answer from that perspective even though it seems to get complicated you would get every single one now, I have another test. If some of you did too well on that, I have another next-level quiz that I can give you guys that I promise you won't get all right. And if you do, then you're just like a language expert, and that's amazing. Um, but as you can see, this is complicated, right? Now, we're not going to discuss this now, but since you have your phones out, here are some discussion questions that you can bring up with friends and family. I recommend put this you know, on your Twitter profile or, or on your Tinder profile, and you can weed out kind of the weaklings in your dating pool. Just throw this right on the front page and and see what happens there. But here are some questions that you can discuss with your friends this week, that you can discuss with the people next to you over lunch today, is these three questions. So just take a quick um, look at those. Take a quick discussion of that. These ones aren't as uh, black and white as the others. You probably have to have some time for discussion. The other ones, there are true and false. So it's not like something Christians have debated. Those six questions you were asked, the church decided on those. We wrote creeds about them. We wrote if it is true or false. These ones, you could kind of debate, and honestly, some of these, depending on the day, I might have a different answer for you. So, look at these, and hopefully this has drawn you in to realize that the incarnation is complicated. Jesus is God, and he's man. How is this even worth it? Four things that we have to affirm to kind of understand Christ's divinity are these. I mean, this is kind of what this whole series is going to be about. We're going to look at essentially these four affirmations. That there is one eternal person, we call him Jesus. He's, in the scripture, he's referred to as the Logos, Jesus, the Son. He's one eternal person. 
So when he was God, when he was born, when he's ascended, that's all the same guy. We're going to look at that. That he is the same eternal deity as the Father. He is God, just as God the Father is God. We'll talk about that today. That he has the same or had the same temporal humanity as us. That Jesus is a human just like us. We'll actually talk about that next week. We won't address that today. And that there is full unity of person. That his humanity and his deity fully united in union. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But today, we're essentially looking at those first two things. That's one eternal person doing all this. And he's the same eternal deity as the Father. Okay, so I have another trick question for you here. True or false? Jesus is man. You don't think it's more complicated than that? So <laughs> Tim's like, yes. So technically, we're, get, we're getting technical this morning. Technically, to say Jesus was man, period, you're all heretics, right? Because that's not the whole picture. Jesus, like, here's a question. Jesus was God, period. Exactly. Sally got it right. You need a comma. To put a period just after that, Technically, we're all committing heresy there because it's more complicated than just he's a man. It's more complicated than just he's God. Jesus is God-man, right? Fully God, fully man. And so one of the things that we have to look at is when we just look at this very first thing that's the same eternal person is the idea that, so Jesus, right, he existed. Even though Christmas, so this is a, I don't know if you trade a lot of stocks. I'd recommend you don't in this economy right now. But this is one of the ways that I've been able to, to understand this is Jesus was alive fully before the first Christmas. That was not the beginning of his existence. And so you have Jesus, think about this uh, in, in heaven. Jesus existing eternally. Came down here onto earth, was born on Christmas, lived 30-something years, ate some fish, gave some great teachings, healed some people, then was crucified, died, ascended back up to heaven. That whole route, the same guy. Same guy did all of that. And this is one of like the crucial affirmations of Christ's divinity is the same person went on that route. He didn't become a different person when he was born as a human. He didn't become a different person when he ascended or came out of the grave. That all is the person we call Jesus, second member of the Trinity. He did all of that. And that's one of the key things that we have to understand. It wasn't a different person when he came down. It wasn't a different person when he went up. The same God did all that. He did that route. That's been a helpful way for me to think about it there. The reverse iron condor, as you could say about Jesus there. And you guys see where you buy and where you sell on that chart there. So we see, same person did all that. One of the important things for us to affirm then with Christ's divinity is that he is the same eternal essence and deity as the Father. So some of you in looking at this might be thinking, Go back. Hopefully, you saw in those questions how important it is to affirm this. Jesus, same deity as the Father. He is equal to the Father. And many of you might be thinking, like, yeah, I'm on board with that. This seems like old news. Jesus is God. That's why I come. Listen to you. But I know, and what I've learned from my years in ministry is that even though we might say, like, yeah, this is easy stuff. We kind of learned this in Sunday school. I know that many of you still struggle with this. I know that there are people in churches all around who 
believe in Jesus, but we still have these doubts, we still have these wrestling matches, and how exactly does this work? I think we have to recognize just that reality that many of us do struggle with understanding or even with believing that Jesus is God. He's at the same level as the Father. Why would we struggle with this? Is it just because we don't have faith? Is it because we're weak? I think we struggle with this because, as we said, the incarnation is complicated. God is complex. It's hard to understand fully. But he is Jesus. He is God. Same deity. Same essence. So I want to talk about God for a bit. Okay? Talking about God the Father here. What is God like? First Timothy chapter 6. Paul here, Paul gives us some descriptions of what God is like. And I want you to think about, okay, we're thinking about why we struggle with Jesus being God. Paul in First Timothy chapter 6 says that God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. Okay, so Jesus is God, and you can describe God in these ways. We could even add to this list. We can include the omnis, right? Omnipresent, omnipotent, right? God is all-powerful. God is everywhere. And let's just think, this is what God is like. That first one, immortal. Was Jesus immortal? So if immortal means he cannot die, death is separation, spirit from body, separation from God. Is Jesus immortal? Because no one else knows. So kind of the whole point of Christianity is that Jesus died for us, right? Right? <laughs> like, death doesn't mean he ceased to exist, but he did die. Okay? Is Jesus invisible? This one's an easier question. Was Jesus invisible? He was walking around on earth. He didn't seem to be, right? Thomas literally made the statement, unless I see his injuries and I touch his scars, I'm not going to believe. And then guess what? He got his, stuck his hand inside, touched the scars. Jesus wasn't invisible. Uh, immutable is a description of God and to say that he's perfect. He never changes. He doesn't need to change. His promises are forever. Is Jesus immutable in the sense that he didn't change? Grew up, right? At one point, he was born a baby. So at one point, Jesus did not have a beard, right? And then he probably grew up, most likely had one. Uh, and when you go from a baby to a man, you change, right? Some people, not as much as they should, but typically, there's a bit of change there, okay? How about omnipresent? Was Jesus omnipresent? Is he everywhere? Other one. There's like the story of there's the story of Lazarus dying. And Jesus shows up after Lazarus has died, and Mary and Martha, they both are mad at Jesus. And they said, if you had only been here. So if Jesus wasn't there, it means there are theirs where Jesus was not. Okay. How about omniscient? Does Jesus know everything? This is a trick question. I'm not going to be able to argue this one. But is Jesus omniscient? Did he know all things? Why did he say only the Father knows the day or the hour? Why, when he went to Lazarus dying in Lazarus's house, did he say, where did you bury him? Is that just an example? Why did he know those things? And so we can see why we struggle with this, right? 
this is how we describe God. This is how we think about God. It feels like Jesus is none of those things. How can we God? And one of the things we have to recognize is we actually can't argue Jesus being divine through those divine, incommunicable attributes. If you argue and try to defend Jesus being God through those attributes, you see that you end up saying he's not God, right? To argue from that point of view. And a lot of people try to make those arguments, and you see very quickly you will mess it up, and you fall into accidental heretic, most likely. But, as you can see, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity here, when he was concarnate, he wasn't invisible, he wasn't these things, essentially Jesus did not live that life like that, and so why would we believe that Jesus is God? And we can't argue from the perspective of those attributes. Instead, here's, here's what we're going to look to. Here's what we're going to look to to see that Jesus is divine. Plenty of Old Testament references to the Messiah being God. We're going to look at gospel statements of deity. He said it. Epistle statements of deity. And then we're going to see Jesus doing things that only Jesus, only God can do. And this is the place from which we argue. You're going to go out. You're trying to share the gospel. You're like, yeah, Jesus is God. And they say, well, why was he so visible? That seems contradictory. Because we can't argue from that perspective. We can't argue. And we're going to get into why when we get to number three there. But the first one here. These Old Testament references to the divine Messiah. We read one today. We read one today in Isaiah chapter 9 there. The parents so graciously wrestled their children up here. As we read all of the promises of what the Messiah will do. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 9, it typically is read every Christmas season. You see these, these shifts that the Messiah will make on earth. This work that the Messiah, the one who will come, will do. He'll shift things from darkness to light. The oppressed will be free. He makes this shift from battle to rest, right? There's a statement about how soldiers' boots and uniforms will be used as fuel for fire. They won't be needed. And it says the government will be on his shoulders. I don't really know a country like that that exists just yet. But it's in Isaiah chapter 9 that it says that this Messiah will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So no one in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, not David, were ever called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. You could make the argument about Prince of Peace for Melchizedek, but that's a different case. But here, these are statements about a Messiah who will be divine. Saying, a man isn't going to rescue you. Only God can do this work. Way back in the Old Testament, the Messiah is going to be God. Because over and over it says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Right? Some people have been in power for a really long time, but eventually that, that will end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Quote the Sandlot, forever. Humans can't rule in that way. These are descriptions of someone divine. Someone, like God, is immortal. Then there's, of course, the famous passage, Daniel chapter 7. We have cloud-riding Jesus. Daniel sees this vision of one he refers to as son of man, which you probably know. We actually just talked about it last week, that Jesus' favorite title for himself was son of man. The son of man. To identify himself with 
this statement in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel, he saw this one who was like a human, but they were riding the clouds, something only God does. Then they approached the Father, the Father God, the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days gives this Son of Man authority and power. People worship him. His dominion lasts forever. Okay, who gets worship in heaven? This one isn't a trick question. I know I've tricked you guys a lot this morning. But God, God gets worship in heaven. And so this prophecy is that the Messiah would be God, divine, receiving of worship, receiving of worship. And then you see Jesus coming on the scene, referring to himself as the Son of Man, referring to himself as the Messiah. He's the Messiah. This is who the Messiah is. So that's Old Testament references. Now, one of the other arguments you might hear is that Jesus never claimed to be God, right? People throw this out. It's all over the place. Jesus never claimed to be God. Christians made it up later just to have, you know, power and authority so they could light candles on Sunday. But Jesus never actually said that. So we'll look at that. Is that true? And you have a bunch of gospel statements of divinity. One place, especially like John chapter 8, where Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, He's ready to go to the cross, ready to reveal who he is. And he has this discussion with the religious leaders. And he says, before Abraham was even born, I am. He goes on in John chapter 8 there, where he says, he says, I tell you the truth, which means this isn't like a metaphor. He's not speaking metaphorically here. He says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, and at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And you go literally one page over, John chapter 10. They want to kill him again. Now, why would they want to kill the stone shepherd? They were not upset at Jesus for teaching morals. This wasn't like the United States. These people loved morals. They were like a little too moral. Um, they weren't upset at Jesus for saying, love the poor, love your neighbor. They're upset at Jesus for claiming to be God. And you see that. It's the very next page, John chapter 10, in verse 24. It's kind of this same big argument where the people ask him. They gather around, and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, you are the Messiah that we talked about from the Old Testament, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. All those miracles, all those signs, showing you God. He said, my sheep, he said, but you did not believe because you were not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So immediately, what happens? They want to kill him, stone him again. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Jesus, that's in response to Jesus making the statement, that I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. So this is a reference. If you were a Jew, the reason they got so mad at him saying, I and the Father are one, is this comes from the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6. It says, the Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord is one. Jesus is like, yeah. yeah. So again, they picked up stones to stone him. I would have ran away, done the Jesus juke again at that time. But instead, Jesus is like, no, let's talk about this. Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father for which for which of these, which miracle, you stone me? And then they respond in verse 33. 
We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So here, Jesus is very clearly claiming to be God. So this, this statement that Jesus never claimed to be God, I, I have no idea where that comes from other than a place of ignorance. Jesus here claims to be God. Now the thing is, if someone is skeptical about Christ's divinity, most likely they're skeptical about the Bible or about the Gospels especially. Uh, frankly, the Gospels are kind of the easiest ones to pick on for skeptics. But that's why we also have, we have epistles like this. Um, so the epistles, they're the letters written by Paul, by Peter, by James, by all those guys in the New Testament. God bless you. And nobody argues about if Paul wrote them or not. Um, you don't have to believe them if you're a skeptic, agnostic, atheist. Many, obviously, they don't, but they don't deny that Paul wrote them. So very clearly, books like Romans are universally accepted as ancient and as a picture of what Christians believed right at the beginning. A few decades after the resurrection, here's what Christians were saying. And so you look to places like Romans. Romans chapter 9, verse 5, which says, talks about what Paul believed traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? God over all. Forever praised. This is a statement from Paul, what he believed about Jesus. Christians, at the very beginning, believed Jesus was Jesus. God over all. It doesn't seem to be something that got added or was set apart. And you have many other places throughout the epistles that talk about this. One of the best places Colossians chapter 1. You can follow along here as we see these statements about who Jesus is. Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's a status position. He's the inheritor. He's in charge. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I don't even know what that means, but it makes sense. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Not just a teacher, man. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God bless you. That God was pleased all his fullness to dwell. Philippians chapter 2. And this is one that, this will answer every question in that quiz. Here you go. Here's your answer. Speaking about Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. So this, how we're able to understand, how can God be in a body? How can Jesus fit in this? Isn't God like an ocean, Jesus' bucket? How can that work? 
And the way what we see here in Philippians, if we could go way back, I got lost here, but if we could go way back to what Philippians said with Jesus being the one where their statements about divinity is, is essentially explains how this works. The, the ESV that we read there says that he, he emptied himself. Literally, he, he poured himself out. He didn't grasp onto, or some of your versions say, hold on to equality with God. The understanding that what Jesus did was not giving up his essence, giving up his deity. He was never without his identity as, as God. He never stopped being God. He never lost anything, but he didn't live where he was born from that lifestyle of God. He didn't live the God lifestyle. He lived as a servant, lived as a human. That all those incommunicable attributes, the invisibility, the omnipotence, said, I'm not going to hang on to the lifestyle of God. I'm going to live a life as so when he was a human, he was not less God at any point. Remember, Jesus always fully God, fully man. But he didn't use any of those things that we think of being God. He didn't use his God attributes. He didn't give them up in the sense that he didn't possess them. But he gave up the use of them those years he was on earth. Not going to. Quality of, with God was his way of life. He empties himself, that way of living, now lives with his status and this equality of human. So he didn't lose his godness. He was, he was always divine. But he gave up, for a period, his way of life with God. Use of those attributes that only God can. So because of that, the God who is mutable, doesn't change, now grows and learns and changes sense that in places like Luke chapter 3, it says Jesus grew in wisdom. And he didn't use his omnipotence to the point that now he gets beat up and killed, probably by guys who weren't even like six feet tall. Jesus is getting beat up. The God who was omnipresent can now be somewhere and not be elsewhere. The God who's omniscient now goes around asking a lot of questions. Seemingly Jesus is fully God. He's fully equal to God in every single way, but he emptied himself of the use of those divine attributes. Take on fully human nature. Submit to the will of the Father. Be the Messiah and rule and reign. This is something you guys, books and books and books have been written on. There's a lot of different theories of what this looks like. Whether he could access that at any point, whether he essentially voluntarily couldn't, in any sense. There's a theologian named Millard Erickson who's got a great systematic theology book. He thinks that Jesus gave up the independent use of each attribute unless the Holy Spirit says to. So if you imagine Jesus you know, in a situation, there are all these times in which Jesus knew the thoughts of the Pharisees. Millard Erickson would say, essentially Jesus is praying. And he says, Holy Spirit, but tap into it and know their thoughts in this moment. The Holy Spirit says, go, go. The Holy Spirit says, no, no. That's one way to look. Another way to look at it is he didn't use any of his divine powers at all, and it was all Holy Spirit empowerment in his life. Essentially, we could do any of the stuff that he did. So there's still debate once you get into the nitty-gritty of the Word. But essentially, that is the way that Jesus, that's what it means when he 
He emptied himself. He didn't become less than God. He was always God, fully God, fully man, everything. But he didn't use his attributes, his own advantage. He allowed himself to die on the cross. When he could have, he just stopped doing it. And then he wanted to. That was his obedience. That is what Philippians chapter 2 is talking about there. Jesus, fully God, fully man, very God, very man. Gave up that lifestyle of God, but but he remained fully God. This is the this is not a question. We look at Jesus' life of if he was God or if or if he was man. It's always both. It's always us. Ted's birthday is coming up, September 18th. Lydia's birthday is the same date. And many of you who have December birthdays, maybe you've been asked the question, like, would you rather celebrate your birthday or Christmas? You don't want the or. Right? You want both. I want to celebrate both. And this is what I've been told by my wife, who has said that we will be buying her presents the rest of her life, that we will be celebrating both. And both is better. And is better than or. And this is like the best both and. Jesus, fully human, fully God. Fully human, fully God. He's the same kind of human we are. Same kind of human we are. We make fun of those ads. You know, see those ads on the Super Bowl? They're, they're corny. It's like, you know, Jesus didn't floss. He gets it. And we're like, okay, yeah. But what they're trying to emphasize is Jesus is human, just like us. And fully God, just like the God we read about, who's omnipotent, who's invisible, who's immutable. And this is what the Christians always believed, what we continue to believe today. The last point of evidence that we would look to is things Jesus did that only God does, right? We read Colossians 1. Jesus created all things. That's a pretty big deal. In the Old Testament, over and over again, Yahweh says, I alone create things. So if Yahweh alone is the creator, Jesus creates things. Logical conclusion, Jesus is God. We can see that. That's not something a good moral teacher, a good rabbi does. Jesus goes around forgiving sins. And this is one of the things that got him in trouble. There's a man was paralyzed. His friends tore a roof open, lowered him into a crowd, looking for healing of his leg. Jesus goes up and says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus forgives sin. Not something that just any old rabbi knew. Something they viewed as blasphemy because they knew right away that something only God can do. And Jesus accepts worship. Only God is to be worshipped. We see that. Thomas, when he touched his scars, he says, he worships him, declares him Lord. Peter, just last week, when we looked at that statement of Peter, Peter the Christ, you are Lord. Jesus accepts worship. So if he's not God, that's a big problem. And we see this story where Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, right? You know the story. He's asleep on a boat. The disciples are terrified of the storm. Jesus says, quick work him. And the disciples look at him and they go, what kind of thing is this? Rabbi's ever done this? Who's ever done this? Like good philosophers and like community activists don't toss nature around and take things. And we know, this last point here, Jesus defeated death. He went into the grave and he came out. Defeated death. That is, that's why we're able to even light Advent candle of hope. Jesus defeated death. 
rabbi, no teacher, no pastor, no one able to do that work. Jesus did. God didn't just send a messenger, hey, do this work. God came himself to rescue us from sin, rescue us from death, take back possession of his people of the earth. Only God could defeat evil. Only God could deal with our circumstances. So it's very important that Jesus is God with us. Jesus is fully God. We actually only have hope in this life because Jesus is God. Because God of the universe hung on a cross and declared it is finished. On the cross, the promise of the incarnation is right there. Jesus came, lived his life, a sinless life. He did all the things. Then he made a payment for our sins. And there he said, it is finished. That's why we have hope. God of the universe who created all things, who wrote the rules, because he declared it is finished. But we have any hope. Because of that, we rejoice in the future and the forgiveness that we have and in the future with him. I think if we're going to be a people who truly understand Jesus as God, it won't necessarily always look like getting all of these tricky test questions right. But I think it'll look like living as if it is finished. Living as if even the grossest sins can be forgiven. Living as if death has been defeated. It's not the end. Living as if his mission will be unhindered. He will build his church. The gates of Hades won't prevail against it. Living as if Every sickness could be healed. The darkness can be cast out. Living from a place that our hope is on him and him alone. Not in a dream, not in money, not in government, not in other people. To truly believe that Jesus is divine is to live it is finished. Jesus did that work. He said all authority, heaven and on earth, has been given to us. And not by some good preacher, by God himself. To go and to make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything that God taught us. That's what I think it looks like to believe that Jesus is God. Live according to his statement of it's finished. It's finished. He gives hope. God I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. I'll conclude here with words of C.S. Lewis, the fourth person of the Trinity. You guys can't be the only heretics, sorry. Is that too far? Lewis famously said this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, nice, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense 
about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend it. Jesus is fully God, fully man. I'm going to invite you. Would you please stand as we worship him? He who works before there was life walked across the pages of time. He who made every living thing behold him. He who heard humanity's cry left his soul to wake as a child. He became like the least of us. Behold Oh, 
the Jesus that many of you know very well because he lives inside of you. And so I hope just as you leave that you'll know just who Jesus is. That though he's closer than a brother, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you you were alienated from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, because the work Jesus did on the cross, declaring it is finished, this great God who's over all things, live inside of us. Go with us as we leave this place. So grace and peace, Comic Ground Church. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for being here. Certain days and we've been waiting for for all of our lives. New beginnings riding on the storm. Open our eyes. Are the days that we've been praying for? Storm. It's 
skies are heavy and it's thirsty ground. We pray for birds when the rain comes. Hey, Chris. Christopher. 